0: And, and we've been working through this. We're actually wrapping up today. This is week four. And, and if you've missed parts of this series, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen online. Check it out because I think it's foundationally important to the Christian life that we understand church hurt. And it's foundationally important for what we're going to say this morning. That you have tracked with us for these few weeks. So, I mean, you're fine if you haven't, but go back and listen because it'll really add credence to what we're talking about. Week one, we talked about how common church hurt is and, and the fact that it exists. And we talked about some, some common ways that we hurt each other in the church. And then in weeks two and three, excuse me, Pastor David really dug in um, to this idea of, of admitting and owning our hurt and how valuable it is to own our hurt and our scars and our wounds. And, and, and then what it is to let God transform us through our hurt. Okay? Really critical stuff. And today, here's where we get to. Um, it's my job as we wrap us up, um, and I, as we really started to map this out, I thought, how come this had to be my job? Because I already have this reputation, and it's well-earned, that I'm not always the gentlest right? I'm, I'm, try, I, I'm more gentle than I've ever been, and I hopefully will continue to grow more and more gentle. It's, um, it's something I always need to improve on. Um, but today, um, I get to tell you that it's time to move on. So we've talked about hurts, right? We've talked about how common they are. We've talked about the fact that we all carry wounds and scars, and we've talked about the fact that we need to let God transform us through them. And then it's my job today to tell you it's time to let it go and to live free from that. Amen. And unfortunately, what we might hear is that you just need to get over it, right? And, and I know that sounds, it, it sounds gamey and it sounds manipulative, especially from Um, from the leadership of the church, because some of you have been wounded by leadership, either in this church or in previous churches. I mean, I just got done telling you, I'm not the gentlest person in the world. You know, my intentions may be good, but sometimes my delivery sucks, and it happens, right? And so when I say, well, it's time to just live free and move on, you say, well, okay, that's easy for you to say. The problem is this, though. This is just something we understand. Where there are church hurts— The ultimate end must be to move forward and live free. It has to be, right? Because we are made new in Christ. And when you are made new in Christ, Corinthians teaches us that when you are born again, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. It's time to, to move forward and live free. See, here's what we do. We tend, to, um, we tend to play with our hurt. Right? I mean, you get that, don't you? When, when we're wounded in church, we, we, we like to sometimes unpack it and look at it. Right? We, we, we pet it. We feed it. Take it for a walk. We play with it a little bit right? We nurture our our hurt. We do it with relationships outside of the church, and you know what? We do it with relationships and hurt inside the body of Christ. Instead of living free from our wounds, we nurture our wounds. Riley, when when she was young, had this—I don't even know what it was called, Carrie, maybe you'll remember—but it was this stupid electronic pet what was it? No, uh, no it, it was a thing. She had it was on this little keychain, and she had to feed it every day. Giga-pet. gigapet, thank you, Ben. Did you have a gigapet? Okay. <laughs> ben had a whole farm of gigapets. And I'll I, listen. I'll give you five bucks. It's fine. Uh, but here's the thing, right? I don't know why I blinked right there. This gigapet, right? And so she would, every day, she would have to get it and she would press the buttons to feed it and press the buttons to play with it and take it for a walk and it would get healthier and it would grow. And it was asinine because it was an electronic keychain. But it was important because if you didn't play with your gigapet, it would die. I don't get it. But that's what we do with our hurts in church. We play with them. We nurture them. We grow them. Right? We give them power instead of moving on and living free. And listen to me. Those of you that are here that are in Christ, that is, you are born again followers of Jesus Christ. Foundationally, you are free. And when our foundation is weak— everything else falls apart. Judah, go ahead and and, and show this video here. This skyscraper, this building, meant to withstand earthquakes, windstorms, you name it, meant to stand up against all of this. The way that we topple it in and amongst all of these other buildings that we don't want to harm, right, is we destroy the foundation. And here's what happens in our Christian walk in the church where there's hurt, right? We can build it strong. We've got Bible study, we've got prayer, right? We've got other activities that we participate in. We've got all these things. We've got years and years of time in the church. We've got whatever it is, and we build it strong. But when we harbor hurt and wounds that start to fester and start to get infected and start to to cause us problems, we weaken at the foundation of our freedom in Jesus Christ. And eventually, it will all come tumbling down. And so we need to figure out what it looks like to live with freedom And that's exactly what Paul talks to us about in Scripture. And we're going to be in Galatians 5 today. So you go ahead and flip your Bibles there um, if you've got them handy. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen. Uh, But before you get to Galatians 5, I just want to share this with you. Because the number one thing that causes us to, to nurture our wounds and to nurture our hurt. We've talked about this, but as we wrap up the series, I want to bring it back. The number one thing is a lack of forgiveness. The number one thing that causes us to nurture our wounds, to grow our wounds, to feed our wounds, to live in pain, that starts to radiate out, that threatens our foundation of freedom in Christ, the number one thing is a lack of forgiveness that results in anger and bitterness. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, don't let sin, I'm sorry, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. This is this fun verse that we always throw out in marriages, like, oh, you shouldn't go to bed angry with your spouse. Okay, I mean, yeah, okay, don't do that. Don't go to bed angry. But if you do go to bed angry and you wake up in the morning angry, fix it then, right? The idea is as soon as you realize this is happening, deal with it. But honestly, what happens is a lot of us won't. We let our anger get the best of us because we refuse to deal with it. And here's what we think. We think that it's just this thing that we can put in a box, we can lock it up, and it's only about me and that person, and it's only about me in this situation, and it won't impact everything else. But come on, man, it gets out. And Paul says, don't sin by letting your anger control you. Because here's what happens. When you harbor anger and resentment and a lack of forgiveness... What that does is it gives Satan a foothold. Remember, here's what I said. You are made new in Christ. That means the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are a new creation, right? But think about it this way, right? There are still opportunities for Satan not to take over your heart, but there are opportunities for him to get in there and start to influence and hurt and wound and try to rip apart what God is doing. Remember, you're made new. You are foundational. You are free, right? But when you give a foothold to Satan, it gives him the opportunity to start to have undue influence. Think of foothold. You ever seen those people climbing the large walls, right? And that's what footholds are, right? They got to grab a hold of something and get their foot up and keep climbing up, right? What happens is, Right? Satan is trying to get there to influence you. And every time you give him a foothold, it's one more opportunity for him to just keep working his way, wiggling his way, getting into your heart. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't sin by letting anger have an undue place. Forgive. Move on. Live free. Right? And that's what we're focusing on here in Galatians today. So um, let's start here. Galatians 5, 13, and 14. We're going to work uh, uh, 13 all the way through 18, and, and we'll see how these play in here. But it starts with this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. That's the foundation we talked about. You are free in Christ. You have been called to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sin nature. Here's the deal. When you are made new in Christ, right? The Holy Spirit comes in you. God gives you a new heart. Right? But you still are you. You still have baggage? You still have hang-ups? You're still broken? There's still a mess that exists in your life. God makes you new, but he doesn't take away every problem you've ever had. He doesn't take away every rough edge. Listen, I am made new in Christ, and I am still trying to work on removing the rough edges. And it has been a lifelong process in Christ, and it will be um, another however many years that I am living in this world, that I will be working on those things. It's called sanctification. I'm growing up in Christ, and I'm trying to work on those things, and hopefully they're better than they were, right? But they're going to continue to be problematic. That's my sin nature. It's still part of me, but now through the power of the Holy Spirit, because I've been made new, I can fight it. And here's what Paul's saying. For you have been called to live in freedom. You are free in Christ. You've been made new. You have this foundational truth that you are free. So don't take that freedom and then keep living satisfying your sin nature. Don't do that. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Basically, what he's saying is use your freedom to do this differently. He starts this whole chunk in one by saying, Christ has truly set us free. Make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery. Slavery to the law. Slavery to, to the, the, the human way of doing things. Slavery to, to this system of right and wrong. He says, no, 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 you're, you're past this. You're free from all of this, right? So now use your freedom to serve one another in love. Basically, Paul's saying, don't get stuck where you used to be. And don't look like everybody else looks. And he says the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You remember that command, right? Jesus gives it. He says, actually, um, he, he's talking um, to, to the Pharisee who's trying to trip him up. And, and he ends up giving us what we know is the, the, uh, the greatest commandment right? Um, he says, hey, teacher, you know, there's all of these laws in the Old Testament. Which one is the most important? He's trying to get Jesus to say that we should, take care of, we should pay attention to some and not others. And he's trying to, to, to find some evidence to call him a false teacher. And Jesus says, look, I can sum it up for you like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second law is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here Paul's saying, look, we can sum it up this way right? Because he's talking about relationships in the church, and he's saying don't use your freedom to satisfy your sin nature, right? And your sin nature is snarky and rude and mean, and it keeps accounts, and and it doesn't keep um, problems away. It doesn't bear burdens. It doesn't Uh, be patient and long-suffering with one another. Your sin nature is problematic. Instead, serve one another in love. That's actually the command that Jesus gave, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is the command that we have. And you remember what happened next when Jesus was talking. The Pharisee said, okay, well, who's my neighbor? And if you have had the privilege of growing up in some kind of Sunday school class or being a part of a Wednesday midweek, right? Um, Having a, a, a storybook Bible, at your house when you were young, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? This is the story Jesus tells. He, you know, the, the, the Pharisee says, Jesus says, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And the Pharisee says, great, who's my neighbor? Like, he's like, I can, I can like the guy that lives next door. Some of you are like, that works. Like, Matt, you don't even live by me, so we're good. The problem is this. Right? The problem is this. What Jesus is saying to us when he says love your neighbor is, is you are to love everyone. That's your call, is that everyone is your neighbor. Anyone, the way that Jesus uses this word, the way this this Hebrew or this Greek word lines up is the idea that anybody that you might come in contact with, you were to consider your neighbor. And then he tells the story. He's like, hey, so look, there was a good Jewish guy, and he was walking on the road. And some bandits came, right? And they beat him, and they robbed him, and they left him for dead on the side of the road. And then there were three people that walked by. And the first one was a a, a Jewish priest. Right? Now, these were the religious people in Israel. These were the Jews that were hyper-religious. Man, you were supposed to learn from them, follow their example. So if anybody's going to help a guy beaten on the side of the road who's just been robbed, who without help will probably die, it'll be a Jewish priest. Except the Jewish priest comes upon him and he looks at him. He's like, ooh. So he crosses to the other side of the road and he keeps on going. And then there is a, a, um, a temple assistant, right? These guys are just under the priests, right? They're the ones that help the priests do the priestly work, right? They help. And he's walking along, and he's like, ooh, yeah, I'm going to go over here, and, and, and I'm going to keep going. And then there was a Samaritan. And a Samaritan, and they were gross, According to to the Jews, Samaritans were awful. They were dirty. They were disgusting. They were hypocrites. They were liars. They were evil. Right? And and, and their hatred of uh, Samaritans um, goes back to, oh gosh, I want to say the 6th century BC. Here's what happened, right? Um, The northern kingdom. Of Israel. Remember, Israel had been split into two kingdoms, the southern kingdoms of Judah and the northern kingdoms of Israel, and because of their sinfulness, the northern kingdom of Israel, God allowed the Assyrians to come against them, wiped them out. Here's how they did it. Right? They they killed the nobility, and they brought in other people to intermarry and religiously mix with the common people. So that after a few generations, there was no pure Jewish faith left in Israel, the northern kingdoms. What there was was this hodgepodge of faith. Part of it looked Jewish, part of it looked like secular religion. Part of it worshipped the God of the universe. Part of it worshipped um, demons and, and false gods. And so what you had was you had this hodgepodge of religion that the Samaritans practiced and the Jews looked at it as saying, man, you threw away your heritage in the God of the universe and we don't want anything to do with you. They hated the Samaritans so much that when they were traveling from one place to another, if they had to get there through Samaria, they would actually go around. It would add a day to their trip, but they would go around Samaria, so they didn't even walk through it. They hated the Samaritans. They persecuted the Samaritans. They would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. They treated them poorly. And yet, this Samaritan, who'd been treated poorly by Jews all his life, is walking along the road, and Jesus says, he sees the Jew that's beaten and left for dead at the side of the road, and he stops. And he has mercy. And he bandages him and he treats him, and he feeds him, and he puts him on his own transportation, and he takes him to the nearest town, and he puts him up in a hotel, and he pays his tab, and he comes back to check on him, right? And so Jesus says, here's the deal. Which one was the neighbor? And of course, the Pharisee, who's not stupid, says, well, I guess the one who had mercy on him was the neighbor, the idea is this, though, right? So, so we learn that story, and we think, okay, so what we're called to do is we're called to love people that we don't like, right? That's, that's kind of how we, we learn that story in Sunday school is we, we're like, okay, well, they don't like each other, but the Samaritans still had mercy on them, so our neighbor is even people we don't like. But here's the thing. We're missing out on what God's really saying there. Jesus is really saying is, it's not just that they don't get along, is that the Samaritan who understood what it means to love your neighbor as yourself is the guy who had mercy on the person who had treated him poorly. Not they just didn't get along. That guy had actively been against him. Jews have actively been against Samaritans. They've pushed down. They've persecuted. They they talked badly about. They didn't care if they lived or died. Right, it was their job to bring them um, the the message of God, but instead they just pushed them away, and they had. To, I mean, they would spit on them if they had the opportunity to. But God says, "No." Here's the thing: you are supposed to love people that would even spit on you if they had the opportunity, people that would sooner see you fail. You're supposed to love them. You're like, man, that's hard. Of course, it's hard. It's countercultural. It's supposed to be hard. Right? Because it's not something that we would do in our humanness. Go back to what Paul's saying, right? You've been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Don't harbor grudges. That's what your sinful nature wants to do. Don't withdraw. That's what your sinful nature wants to do. Right? Don't be that person. Instead, use your freedom to love people well, because that's the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, and that's what you're supposed to do. Jesus says this another way. He says, right, here's the thing. Love your enemies. He says, Man, even sinners love people in their family. Even sinners love people that are nice to them. He says, What honor is there in that? That's what everybody does. You love your enemies, that's what you're called to do. You know where we're terrible at loving our enemies? It's in the church. We're terrible at loving our enemies in the church. Somebody hurts me, they're my enemy. I want nothing to do with them, right? We satisfy our sinful nature instead of using our freedom to serve one another in love, our neighbors, even people we don't like, even people that we feel like have hurt us. And this is important because if we're not careful, here's what happens. Paul continues, he says, here's, the, here's what you do instead. Instead of loving one another in your freedom, you're always biting and devouring one another, Watch out, be aware of destroying one another. Here's what happens. When we allow our church hurt to be part of us. And this is true for me, it's true for Pastor David, it's true for all of us that allow our church hurt to be part of us. We carry it around like a gigapet. Gigapet. We carry it around like a gigapet. When we do that, here's what happens. We become destroyers of community. We become destroyers of community. We don't mean to. Most often, we don't mean to. Right? We don't mean to destroy community, but we do. We bite each other, we devour each other, and in doing that, we destroy the community that God has called us to be a part of. Here's here's the way I want you to think about this. You are going to come across dark spots in a Christian community. Blemishes. You're going to. And when you come across dark spots in a Christian community, I'm, I'm talking about places where you have to be more patient than you ever thought you should have to be in a church. Right? When I say dark blemishes, dark spots in a Christian community, I'm talking about places where you have to bear with burdens that you never thought you'd have to bear with in the church. Right? You have to stand in the midst of gossip and turmoil and hardship and things that should never happen in a church. But we're messy. We have sin natures. We bring them in with us sometimes. And when you come across those dark blemishes in a church, you have two choices. Right? You can reel from them. You can withdraw from them, you can react to them, or you can be free from them. But, but here's, here's part of the thing I want to encourage you with. Nobody ever promised you that Christian community was going to be pretty. We all have this idea of Christian community as a place where it's going to be awesome. You'll notice when I asked you and I encouraged you to be a part of a small group of believers that was going to live life together, I didn't say it was going to be pretty. I didn't say it was going to be comfortable. I didn't say you were going to see eye to eye with every person in your group. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee you that you won't. You'll have disagreements. You'll have problems. They may talk more than you want them to. They may never talk. They may say things that are snarky. You may disagree. You may have problems. They might, they might say something out of turn. They might hurt you. I don't know what the thing will be, but, but nobody ever promised that Christian community was going to be neat and pretty. But we have this idea of Christian community, and, and we come into a church, and we come into a community, and we expect it to be perfect. We ex- I mean, you, listen, we expect it to look like it does on Sesame Street right? Where everything is nice and neat and easy. We expect it to look like that, but in the real world it doesn't look like that. But here's what happens. We love the idea of community more than we love community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, those who love the dream of Christian community more than Christian community itself become destroyers of that community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, or sacrificial. If you love the idea of Christian community more than you love Christian community as it is, then you run the risk of being a destroyer of community. And listen, I, 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 maybe this is too heady. Maybe it's too, um, I don't know. But, but you've got to understand this, right? It's the idea that if the idea of it, it's the same with marriage, right? If your idea of marriage is this, and you love the idea of a good marriage, but you hate the reality that marriage is hard, and so you back away from it, then you're destroying your marriage, right? In a family, right? I know what the ideal of a family is supposed to be with brothers and sisters and siblings, but it's hard so I back away, then I am contributing to the destroying of the family. It's the same with Christian church community, right? I have this idea of what Christian church community should be, but it's harder than that because there are way too many times when I have to be way too patient. And there is way too much burden bearing for me. And I just want it to be smooth and easy. And so I draw back from that Christian community. Then whether it was my intention or not, I've become a destroyer of that community. Even without meaning to. See, there are so many people who, who actually contribute to the destroying of a Christian community, devouring and biting one another, all the while feeling justified because they didn't start it. Because it wasn't them that, it, that initiated, it. they were the ones that were initially wronged. Well, I get it. But even there, in freedom, we're supposed to push ahead. In freedom, right, we're supposed to love one another, serve one another, right? Consider our neighbors as much as we consider ourselves. God says, love your enemies. Don't withdraw because they're difficult. <laughs> Listen, those of you that know me well know that I can be really great. Say amen. You're like, yeah. Jeez. Also, those of you that know me know that I can be difficult. Yeah, right. Like, that one I got. Right? Listen, in the midst of that, we don't withdraw from Christian community. We dig into it. Otherwise, we are participating in what the enemy wants, which is destroying it. And we are robbing God of his glory in that. We've got to be really, really careful. Right? We've got to be better than that. These are the times where, where we start to struggle with this idea. We're like, you know what? They hurt me first. I know they did. They were harsh. They talked about me behind my back. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, that should never happen in a Christian community. I know. But it does but you can't pull back. See, what happens when you start to pull back, and this is something you've got to wrap your head around, as much damage is done to Christian community from apathy as aggression. I'm going to say that again because I really need you to wrap your head around it. As much damage is done to Christian community with apathy as aggression. When you get apathetic because the community isn't what you thought it was, right, you stop trying so hard. You start withdrawing. You know, your attendance goes from being here every week to every other week to once a month to maybe I'll show up once a quarter to, oh, it's okay, I watch online, I'm still part of the church. No, that's, that's apathy. It starts to creep in. We get apathetic, and it hurts the community of the church, right? We stop confronting sin because we're apathetic, and, and, and we don't really want to have to deal with it. We'll just ignore it and hope it goes away, so we stop confronting sin because it's hard, and, and, we, and we stop making our, our, ourselves known and we stop risking by putting ourselves out there. It's apathy and it hurts the community of the church. It's dangerous. Maybe not intentional, but dangerous. All right, and then Paul continues, right? He says, don't, don't be that. Don't devour and bite each other. Don't destroy one another. Don't be a destroyer of community. Um, instead, let the Holy Spirit guide your life here's what he says. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, right? You get this, right? So Paul says, so, so here's, here's the big secret. Here's the big secret to not being a destroyer of community, right? But to using your freedom not to indulge your sinful past, not to indulge um, this, this community difficulty, but to use your freedom to actually love one another, even when we're not overly lovable, to really love Christian community. Not, not just the idea of it, right? Use your freedom for that by following the Holy Spirit. Because when you follow the Holy Spirit, you won't do what your sin nature craves to do. And then he goes into this long dialogue, which I love because it wraps up every single day of my life. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sin nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you don't feel free to carry out your good intentions. How many of you been there? Like, I got great intentions. I know what I want to do. I know what I intend to do. But then when it comes along, this other part of me pushes against it. And so I don't do those things. And we're at war. And Paul says, that's the sin nature fighting against the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit in you wants you to do good, wants you to live free and to love one another with that freedom. The sin nature wants to drag you back to this place that's awful and they fight each other and sometimes it feels like I can't do the good things I want to do because the spirit is fi- or the sin nature is fighting against me and sometimes even though I know I shouldn't and I know it's wrong I get goaded into doing things that I know are not right because the sin nature drags me there and it's this constant struggle we have but can I tell you something the reason you lose that struggle the reason I lose that struggle The reason this is so hard is because I wake up in the morning and I say to myself, Matt, you're better than this. Today you're going to do better. Today you're going to do good. Today you're going to be gentle. Today you're going to be kind. Today, you are not going to be mean at all. Today, you're not going to say anything that people could be upset about. Today is the day that you're going to do better. And I get myself ready and in my best, you can do it attitude and my personal strength, I go out there and I don't do it because I am as weak as a guy can be. The reason we fail when our Holy Spirit nature, the Holy Spirit in us, and our sin nature play tug of war is because my sin nature, listen to me, yours is too, I would bet you, my sin nature is always stronger than my best intentions. My sin nature is stronger than my good intentions. If it were an arm wrestling match, it would be no contest. my sin nature is stronger than me. But what I don't do very often, and what we all need to grow in is waking up in the morning, walking through our day saying, you know what, God, I know I'm weak, but I don't have to rely on my strength. I just have to say yes to the Holy Spirit. I just have to do what the Holy Spirit puts in front of me, because here's the truth right? Paul finishes, but when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. You're not under obligation to the sin nature that's at work in you. When you're operating in the Holy Spirit, when you're directed by the Spirit of God, you're free and and you're empowered. And so here's the thing. I don't need my best intentions to fight against my sin nature. That's a surefire recipe for disaster in my life. What I need is is the Holy Spirit of God in me to fight for me against my sin nature. And then I will be successful. And you know what it takes for that to be the case? is just for me to say yes. God, I don't want to have this awkward conversation, but I'm going to say yes to it. And I'm going to trust that you'll get me through. God, I don't want to be in a small group with that person. I don't want to, right? Because it makes my community hard. And I like the idea of community more than I like the actual community. But you know what? You tell me to, I'll follow the Holy Spirit and I'll say yes to it and I'll trust you to get me through. I'm not strong enough. The Holy Spirit of God in me will do everything I need him to do. He will make me strong enough with his power. That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a misnomer out there that that God won't give you more than you could handle. God will continually allow more than you could handle. But when you trust the Holy Spirit of God, he will help you handle all of it with his power, not your own. It's always more than I can handle by myself. Never with God. This is the call to Christian community. We are supposed to get over it and live free. It doesn't mean we don't deal with it, right? We confront where we need to confront. We have difficult conversations where we need to have difficult conversations. We engage in church discipline where we need to engage in church discipline. We do all of those things. We actively disagree if that's something we need to do. We do all of it, right? But we live free from the hurt and the pains. We don't dwell. We don't linger. We don't play with our wounds. We let them go and we live free. This is what Paul's telling us to do in context of relationships here. And when we're following the Holy Spirit, we really can get good at this. Pastor David shared these with us last week. These are things Jesus did when he was hurt. You can read them in the Gospels. These are things that Jesus did when he was hurt. If you go back and check out last week's sermon, uh, Pastor David will give you the, the, the meat to this. But we voluntarily love one another, even when it's hard, we aggressively pray for one another. Aggressive. I love the word aggressively pray for, not passive, right? But I aggressively pray for people that I feel like make my Christian community hard. And I hope they're praying for me. We proactively forgive one another and we eagerly restore one another. This is the tough one because I will have people sit in my office all the time that will say, yes, I've forgiven them, but I don't want anything to do with them. You can't stop at forgiveness. And is it really forgiveness if you can't even be in the same room with? Like, I forgive them, but I'll never be around them. No, 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 no. Eagerly restoring one another. Not pulling away from Christian community because it's hard, but fighting for it, even though it's hard, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus says. We're going to get ready to take communion together. Here's what Jesus says as he announces his ministry in his hometown. He walks into the synagogue, he takes the scroll, he enrolls the scroll, and he reads this. Does anybody else see this fly that's bothering me? Or do I just look like an idiot when I keep going like this? I just want to clarify, watching online, you're watching me live, whatever it is, there's a fly. Right? I'm not just, anyway. Whatever. We're back. I just, I'm just like this. I'm like, wait, what do they think I'm doing? It's a fly. Here's the thing. This is what Jesus says. He says, the spirit of Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is Jesus Christ announcing what he will accomplish. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. This is straight out of Jeremiah, and he's reading. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. I am setting them free. I proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will be able to see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Foundationally, in Christ, you are free. That is what the cross does. It sets you free. That's the point. Freedom. This is what he comes to accomplish. But too many of us, instead of living in freedom are stuck, we've got chains, and and we allow ourselves to sit in them when they can easily be broken. How many of you—no, that's a terrible question. Like, how many of you, when you're chained up—never mind, because I don't want to know. But here's the thing, right? Like, like if we (laughs) are— Like the last time you were arrested. No, no, no. Okay, here, let's, let's go back, right? Uh, we're going to fix this for second service, so it'll be fine. Let's suppose I was handcuffed, right? I am not strong enough to just pull that. Yeah, okay, this, this one will work. I'm not strong enough just, right? But, but it's the power of, of God Jesus Christ who's come to set me free, I don't have to be strong enough just to free myself. He is a chain breaker. He will do that for me. Right? Did I save it a little? Okay, we're going to go with it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do communion a little bit differently, and they don't know that they're doing this, but I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up because they're still here. So come on up. It'll be okay. Um, Judah, we're going to do this last song over again. You can mentally prepare yourself. I know you guys thought you were done. But as they sing this last song, here's what I'm going to ask you to do I'm just going to ask you to think about the chains that are binding you. You've all got them, I know you do. I'm going to ask you to think about the the difficulties that we have sometimes in Christian community. Listen, no matter how well we're doing, we know we have troubles in Christian community. I'm going to ask you about the people that you need to forgive. And more than forgive, I'm going to ask you to think about the people that you need to be reconciled to. Not just to say, Oh, I've forgiven them. God help me with, with my forgiveness, but but God help me to be reconciled in real Christian community. What happens too often is our relationships in the body, they become formal instead of familial. We're supposed to be a family, but instead our relationships become cursory and formal. Because we withdraw. And and, and those are chains that we have that we don't need to have because Jesus has come to set us free. To declare the year of the Lord's favor. This is, this is the freedom that we're supposed to have. So as, as we sing this last song, I want you to meditate. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God for what you need to ask God for. Um, confess what you need to confess. Right? And we have our communion cups up here and over here. Um, and when you're ready, when you're ready, um, I'd ask you to come and take one. Take it back to your seat. Right? Right? Um, and we will take communion together, but I want you to come with an attitude of, okay, God, what do you need me to do? What chains do you need to break? What do you need to fix? Okay, and let's just do that together.
1: You're great. Let me just
0: God, I have to confess that there are far too many times that even as a leader in the church, as a shepherd in the church, that I have have acted as a destroyer of community rather than a builder of community. God, I confess that there are times and I ask you to forgive me that there are times when I have loved the idea of of Christian community, and that I have loved the idea of church as a family more than I have loved the family, more than I've loved the community that you've placed me in. Father, and I believe I'm not alone there, and so I confess that to you, and I ask for your forgiveness, and I ask you to change my heart in that. And Father, if there are others um, in this congregation here, online, wherever, that are feeling the same way, God, I, I intercede for them as well. God, I love you. And I love the body that you've placed me in. And I love the community that you've created here. And Father, I pray earnestly that that we all will understand that in Christ, foundationally, we are free from sin and from our sin nature that draws us away. And God, that we will live in that freedom. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.